Good morning. So it's time for you to be honest. How many of you will say at some time in your life, you have felt in some situation or circumstance or place that you really didn't matter to the people around you? How many have ever felt that? Yeah. So I, I felt that this week. I was going through a Delta Sonic car wash. And I went through the line, and I went through the little pre-spray thing, and then the people, they spray the cars are coming up, and then they get you on the track, and they say, all right, put it in neutral and let go of the wheel, and they push a button, and my car starts down through the track. And the first initial spray sprays 10 feet in front of my car. Then the bubbles come down 10 feet in front of my car. I'm not getting touched by anything. Then the little brush things that go all over the car, not over my car, 10 feet in front of my car. Then I get to the blowers, they blow off what's supposed to be there 10 feet in front of my car. I drive out and the guy looks at my car like, what happened to you, why isn't it wet? I said, dude, you missed me completely. So I had to run through it again. And I thought, what's wrong with me? Because everybody else going through is getting it. You ever feel that way, that, that, just, that everybody else is getting the deal and you're not getting it? So there are those moments that, that I, I talk to you and I share with you what's going on in, in our life and I talk about our marriage and I talk about our, our parenting and our family. And, and, and sometimes people will say to me later, they'll say, you know, your, your marriage is really inspirational. But my question to you is, would I really matter to you if my marriage wasn't inspirational? If I didn't, if I didn't measure up to, to what you thought it should be. About 25 years ago, Pam and I were in the garage of our house in Salem, Oregon, or in, in Gresham, Oregon, and and we had an argument, and I got really, 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 really frustrated. And, and so I got really angry, and I didn't control my anger, and I just turned to Pam. You wouldn't, can't believe that I actually say this to Pam, but I said, just shut up. And then I walked through the garage door into the, the lower level of the house and slammed the door. Ten seconds later, she walked in, and I thought, good, she's coming to apologize. What an idiot I am. <laughs> she walked in and she said, Mark is here. Mark, our next door neighbor, Mark. Mark, the executive pastor of the 4,000 member Foursquare Church, Mark. I said, Mark's here? How long has he been here? <laughs> she said, he heard everything. And I thought, what does he think of me now? now that he understands my character flaws. Wednesday was a busy day for me, and I had a lot of meetings. And so I had meetings, and then I'd hurried back here to meet another friend at 6 o'clock. At 6.20, I got out to, to come down and, and greet the guys coming in for Bible study, and some of the ladies coming in the Bible study, and, and the people that are working with the kids on, on Wednesday night. Went through, went through all of that, and, and then... Earlier that afternoon, some friends had called us and contacted Pam and said, can you guys meet us for dinner, for a dinner meeting? And I thought, well, I, not, I got no problem, so I, I did that. And, and, and she said yes, and so I, I hurried, met everybody here. Then Pam was in the office. I, I, I was going to walk through the office, grabbed her, and go. And as I was, I'm coming, 
toward the office, I noticed there's three people, some really great people sitting out in front of the, the office door. And so I go over to them and I say, I say, hey, how are you? Hey, we're really good. I said, what do you, you guys got a meeting? Yeah, we got a meeting. And I said, who with? And one of them said, with you. And we all laughed. And I thought, these people are just, you know, they're just giving me a hard time. And so I opened the door and I went in and I, and I left. <laughs> the next morning, my assistant, Valerie, got an email from one of them saying, Pastor Sauce, he confirmed he had a meeting. He went in and he never came back out again. I totally missed it. And I'm thinking, what do they think of me? What do they think of my ineptitude? What do they think of how I've messed this up? See, we believe that, that to have significance in life, that we have to have marketable value to the people around us. Because if you like who I am, my character, or if you like what I do, my competency, then, then you're going to hang out with me and I'm going to find and affirm my value in the fact that you want to be with me because I've got something that you really think is valuable. And so we create elaborate strategies to be seen at our best always. And yet inside, as we are presenting the best, we're thinking about those deficiencies. We're thinking about those character flaws. We're, we're, we're thinking about, even this morning, as you're worshiping and, and you're loving God and you're greeting people and you're smiling and talking, you're thinking about if they only knew, if they only knew about my character flaw, if they only knew about my deficiencies, if they only knew about my ineptitudes, the way that I mess up, if they only knew that. Because we're really good. We are so good at showing off our trophy cases, aren't we? Like you see, here's my trophy case, and, and here you'll see all my achievements, and then down here you'll see all the people that I'm friends with, and, and they'll, they'll validate me, so there I am, here's my trophy case, really cool, and we drop names, yeah, so I know them, and oh, that's great, because if I know them, you know that I have validity, I'm valuable. I've yet to have anybody show me their failure case. I can show you mine, I, I got a failure case, and, 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 and this one is, is earlier in my life, right here in this case, you're going to find... Me in junior high school, when during a, a junior high football game, I blocked a punt. And you say, well, that should be in your trophy case. No, no, no. I blocked our own punt. <laughs> I was blocking for the punter and some guy that sh in junior high school, I swear he must have driven to school because he was that big. He came plunging through the line and I'm blocking and he hits me. I go flying back and I block the punt with my backside. Try to live that one down in junior high school. And then, and then right over here is, is eighth grade when, when I didn't make the junior high basketball team. And evidently, I didn't make it because they watched me play football. <laughs> <laughs> Must have been the deal. And, and, and right over here, this is, this is my junior year in high school when I decided to drop physics class. And you know why I decided to drop it? Because I was flunking it. I have no concept what physics means. You can give me English and history, and I love it. But math and science, I don't even know where that came from, and I'm pretty sure it came from the Antichrist because it just, <laughs> it just makes no sense. And right over here, in my failure case, the day I got fired from a job. And I had to go home and tell my wife with our three young kids 
that I have to look for a new job. So what if somebody knows your failure case? How do you think they're going to feel about you? So we don't want them to know that. But the truth of the matter is that there is someone who knows every failure, every piece of you. And they weren't even invited in to know those things. That one sees without our permission. If a word shows up multiple times within a passage of the Holy Scripture, it's saying, pay attention. And if it shows up seven times within a passage of Scripture, it means pay really, really, really extra attention. For that, for that seven is representative in the Hebraic and, 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 and in even the early century writings that, word, that, that number seven is the word of power. So if it's, if it's there seven times, it means this is a, a word of power. And it's the word of completion, meaning there's a full thought here that you need to digest. And it, it is symbolic of the fact that it's got God's attention. And so when we read the psalmist David in Psalm 139, and he begins by saying, O Lord, you have searched me, and you know me. Seven times in Psalm 139, you're going to hear the words, you know me. So periodically, I'll get an email that says to me, someone's been checking on your credit, please contact us and let us verify that that's with your permission. Because I have the system in place to keep unwanted people from getting into my identity. But see, God doesn't ask. He breaks through our security systems and God digs into the files that we want to keep private. And he's really intent on this, so there is absolutely no way that you will stop him from doing that. So the psalmist goes on to say this, you know when I sit and when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You're familiar with all my ways. And before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. You hem me in behind and before. You have laid your hand upon me. Now, before there were podcasts, there were these things called broadcasts, which is like a podcast, only everybody has to listen to it at the same time. And so there was this radio broadcaster, his name was C.M. Ward, and C.M. Ward would do a 30-minute broadcast every week, and, and he would script out everything he would say so that it would fall right where it needed to be, all the way through the program, and end exactly at the right second. And he never, he never went off script, never went off script, until one day, during his broadcast, he laid a script aside, and he said something like this, Mr., don't do it. God knows your pain, and he cares for you. And then he went on to say, Mr., you contact the closest local church, and you talk to that pastor. He will help you out. Two weeks later, C.M. Ward got a letter in the mail. Letter in the mail is like email, only a lot slower. <laughs> and, and the letter said this, Mr. Ward I am the guy who walked into his bathroom and turned on his radio loud so that it would cover up my suicide attempt. 
And at the moment I was going to kill myself because of my despondency, you said, Mr., don't do it. God knows your pain. And he cares for you. So I did. I contacted the closest church. And to my surprise, that pastor came and met me. And he's beginning to tell me about how I can heal up through someone named Jesus. And I'm on a journey with Jesus. You know when I sit and when I rise. What the psalmist is saying is this, that God knows all our movements at home. Because this is what he's describing. Here in this place I call home. You know when I've just spent two hours on Pinterest. You know. You know that I'm cramming for a test. You know that I just turned on to watch Jimmy Fallon and Ellen lip sync. You know that. You know that I'm canning peaches. And that I should take some to Pastor Jack because he likes canned (laughs) peaches. You know this. And you know You know the emotions that have gone with what I'm experiencing in the home right now. You know my anger, you know my laughter, you know my pain, you know my tears. You know it all. This God in heaven, the psalmist said, may be in heaven, but he is right there with you in your bedroom, in the bathroom, in the living room, in the sunroom, in the garage. He is there. In fact, what the psalmist is saying, he's saying there are two incredible attributes of God you need to understand. His omnipresence, he is with you where you are, and his omniscience, and he knows exactly what you're thinking at this moment. In college, I was a security guard. And one night, I decided I was going to order a fire drill for a specific girl's dorm. (laughs) I had power. So it was 10 o'clock at night, and I, I I did a fire drill. And my boss said, what are you doing? And I told him it was for us, it was a safety move. God knew it was a stalker move. Because Pam was in that dorm. And I wanted to see her. The psalmist says that God knows what we plan to do and what we want to do. He knows it perfectly. Sometimes Pam will say to me, hey, measure this thing because we need to figure out if it's going to fit. And I won't have a tape measure with me, so I'll take my hand and I'll do this. Because I know that from the tip of my little finger to the tip of my thumb is nine inches. And I'll measure that way. Now when the psalmist says, you discern my going out and my laying down, he is actually giving a a word picture of God spanning his palm out to measure what you're doing outside the house. That God is measuring all our activities so that he may judge them according to motive and effort. He knows it. Later today... You Browns fans are going to be watching new uniforms and hopefully a new team. And so halfway through, when you start yelling at the TV because you're not happy with the ref's call or the intercepted pass, the psalmist says, before that word gets out of your lips to the TV screen, God knows what's coming off your tongue before you ever say it. And the word that you bite your tongue on and don't let it come out to your boss. 
but it's in your head, he hears it before you even say it. God already knows tomorrow's conversations. He's that attuned to you. Years ago, I was walking out of our house when we lived in California, and, and, and I was walking out, and you go out our door, and there's a garage to the left, so I was walking out beyond the garage because I wanted to go somewhere, and as I walked out, this guy yelled at me, really rude. He said, hey, get back in your house. He said, what a rude neighborhood. Do you ever feel that you live in that neighborhood when you're in life? Because every time you try to advance, every time you try to move ahead, every time you think that I'm going to get beyond this point, something in this culture, somebody around says, hey, get back there. You can't go there. Get back. Did it ever occur to you that sometimes that's God? That God will interfere with our path? You hem me in? And you hem me in, in the front, you hem me in in the back, and then you can't, and then you keep, and keep me from crawling out because you put your hand over the top of me. So why? Why would God stalk us? Why would God want to know so much about us? Why would God interfere with our path? Why would God block us? Why would God be this way? Pam and I had a friend who was a private investigator, and he was pretty thorough with what he did. And he got mad at my father. So he began an investigation on my father and went deep into my father's personal life, any place he could go and get information. I mean, this guy, this guy was, was really smart. He would, he would go in to try to get medical records, and he'd walk into a hospital, put a stethoscope around his neck and ask for a chart, and they'd give it to him. How are you getting the information? So he's trying to dig out information, and what he wanted to do was find information about my father so that he could press charges against him and have him arrested and put in jail. Didn't work because my dad was clean. But that's what he wanted to know. He wanted to know his personal life so that he could imprison him. About a month ago, somebody came to Pam and wanted to know some personal things about me. And shortly thereafter, there was a knock at my office door, and there stood this person with a Trenta ice cream tea and a marshmallow dream bar from Starbucks. My favorite. So my question for you today is this, that if God knows all these things and God is deep inside of who you are, is it because he wants to find what's wrong with you and imprison you or is it because he wants to hand you a dream bar? What is it? And by the way, the guy that screamed at me in my neighborhood, it was a cop behind a car behind his door with a service pistol drawn pointing at the house two doors down because it was, it was a resident of a refuge or a, a fugitive. And it was a dangerous situation. And he was restricting me from moving on because at the very moment he was restricting me, he was protecting me. There are those moments that God restricts you because he knows you and he knows what's around you and he knows what's two doors down when you don't know and he protects you from that thing that is the unforeseen pain that could be ahead of you if he doesn't stop you. But then you ask the question, why would he even care that much? Why does God even concern himself with me? Because if he knows who I am, if he knows my brokenness, if he knows my faults, if he knows my character flaws, if he knows my ineptitude my ineptitudes and the way that I mess up life, if he knows that, why would he even be concerned with me? So Jesus shows up at the Jordan River to be baptized by John the Baptist. And John says, 
loud enough for his disciples to hear, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. In other words, this is the Messiah. Two of John's disciples follow Jesus as he walks off. Jesus knows they're following, and he turns to them, and he says this, what are you looking for? Now, Jesus, Jesus knows, because Jesus is not thinking, hey, they must have lost their keys, and they're looking. Or they're trying to find the closest Starbucks. No, Jesus knows that it has to do with him. So he turns to them and says, you're looking at me. What are you looking for? If Jesus asked you that question today, what's your answer? What are you looking for? So their answer doesn't seem like much of a genius answer. In fact, it just, it's rather confusing. They just simply say, where are you staying? And, it, and it's not that they're really interested in, hey, how's the, how's the breakfast at the Hampton Inn? Is that where you're staying? Is, that, is it good? He actually uses the word, they use the word, where, where, where is the meno? That's the Greek word. It means, where do you abide? Where do you exist? Where do you stay? It's the same word that Jesus uses when he talks to his disciples later on and says, you know, your relationship with God should be like the branch tied to the vine, connected to the vine, menoed in the vine. You exist in the vine. It's the same word that he uses when he said, in my father's house are many dwelling places, are many meno places, many abiding, existing places in my father's house. It's more than a place to stay. It's where do you dwell? Where do you come from? Where, can, where is that part of where you come from? Because I want to exist there with you. I want to bring my home into your home. And Jesus says, well, come and see, which is his invitation that we are invited to bring our world into Jesus' world. And they stayed with him for about 24 hours. They had a sleepover. But you say, but, but if he knew them, if this holy God in flesh knew them, why would he invite them? Because they're just, they're just not any good. Jesus knew them. Andrew was one of those, and Andrew went, goes and gets his brother, who's named Simon. And Simon comes, and Jesus says, oh, Simon, son of John, from now on we're going to call you Cephas. And what Jesus is saying is, I know you, and I know what your future is. Jesus then, then sees Philip and invites Philip, and Philip goes and gets his brother Nathaniel, and Jesus and Nathaniel have this conversation. When Jesus saw Nathaniel approaching, he said of him, here is a true Israelite in whom there is nothing false. Well, how do you know me? Nathaniel asked, and Jesus said, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. I have searched you out, and I have invited you into my world. And here's what's so amazing about that. Jesus' invitation is unfathomable because it's delivered to those who are unlovable. That what's so amazing about this is that Jesus has searched you out so deeply and you say, I have nothing to offer. And Jesus says, no, 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 that, you're the very person I want. You matter to me. I need you in my world. Why? Because this is the plan. And, and if you've been in church very long, in, in a community of faith, you may have heard this verse a lot. When things go bad, all things work together for the good of them that love God and call according to his purpose. But we forget to go beyond that because he describes what the purpose is. And the purpose is that we'll be formed into the image of Jesus. That's, that's God's will for us. So, so here's what happens. He says, I'm going to take you in the state that you are, and I know you perfectly, so I want you to know that I know you perfectly, and I want you to come into my world, because as you come into my world, my son Jesus is going to walk with you, and as Jesus walks with you, he is going to transform you and change you into a better person, because one of you is going to change, and I'm telling you right now, Jesus never changes, so you're going to change, so welcome to my world. 
So I have a friend who, who always issues this invitation. invitation. He says, let's get your friends together with my friends and let's put Jesus in the middle and see what happens. Because what Jesus is promoting is that we do life together. And Jesus gives that another name. He calls that discipleship. In fact, he says to them before he leaves this earth, he said, I want you to, as you're going into all the world and you're, and you're heading into different places, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, all the other parts of the world, the known world, when you're going there, I want you to get there and I want you to do life together with Jesus in the middle. That's discipleship. That's what you're called to do. That's your identity. You, you're identifying with Jesus and you are going to do this together, do life together. So I received a, an email this week, a letter from an acquaintance who is part of this, this movement called Live Dead, which is this, that there are places in the world that if you go and you are Jesus there, you can die. But they go and they're there to be Jesus there. And the way they do that is they do life together with those people that become their friends there. So he says this, one of the things we enjoy doing is visiting our Live Dead teams. It's always inspiring to see how they pour their lives into their communities. They're doing life together. The cities they live in are often crowded and dirty. They live within the constant pressure of an Islamic environment. They're thousands of miles from home. And the reason they go is that there are people who live in places where Christ is not being proclaimed. These people don't have the opportunity to hear about Christ. So team members learn a new language. They adapt to a different culture and daily look for opportunities to talk to their friends of Christ. In August, during one of their visits, I was captivated by a prayer list on a chalkboard. You see it there. On it was written the name of a team member and a list of their friends that they're actually witnessing to. And that, that witnessing to is basically this, doing life with. And these are more than contacts. They're the unreached that are the closest to knowing our Savior through relationships. Jesus said, here's what you do. As you're going through the world, I want you to, to, to do life together with the people that believe in me and the people that don't believe in me. Walk together. Do life together, and in doing so, Jesus will be in the center of that, and he'll begin to bring transformation. So this week, Pam and I met with a, some friends, a couple, and, and, and we sat and talked about marriage and parenting and the tough parts and the good parts, and what were we doing? We, we, were, we were just doing life together. Pam and I got to go hang out with some of the EYA people, some of the leadership on Friday night, and we spent a couple of hours just talking about life and how you do life in their situation and how we've done life in the past. And, and we just sat and shared back and forth. What were we doing? We were doing life together. I have a friend who that I meet with twice a month and, and, and we have breakfast together. And, and, and he's, he's a person who has the same calling I have, which is to, to help shepherd people into knowing who Jesus is and, and grow them in a relationship with Jesus. And so we get together, and you know what we do? We talk about the good stuff, and we talk about the really painful stuff. And what we're doing is that we're doing life together. When we had had our third child, our totally unexpected child, we were, we were just feeling the pressure of how do we raise three kids and especially this third one who just seems to be so obstinate and, 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 and this, this, this lady shows up and, and she has a degree in 
childhood early education and she says, hey, I've been praying for you and I feel like God said that, that I should hang out with you and anything I can help you with and knowing how to raise these kids, I'll be there. In addition to that, I want you to take a day off every week and I'll watch your kids all day long and you guys can have a date day and do whatever you want to do. And in fact, when you go on vacation, if you want to take a separate vacation once in a while, I'll watch your kids with no charge. I just want to be here for you to help you as you raise your family. What is that? That is doing life together. In these last four to five years, Pam and I have had two groups of people that we meet with. There's a 12 in one group and 14 in another. And when we get together, we talk about kids and work and death and exhaustion and dreams and leadership and how we find Jesus in all those places, and we share our stories. And we teach each other how to walk life together. And Pam and I have been evaluating our, our 20 years here and we said that we've never felt more enriched than we have the last four or five years because of those 26 people, because we're doing life together. I gotta tell you, if you think following Jesus is showing up on a Sunday morning for an hour and a half, you've lost it. And then you get frustrated about life and where's Jesus, where, where is he, where is he when, when things fall apart? I'll tell you where Jesus is. He's in the people that you put around you when you're doing life together because those are the people that come running to us and say, what can we do to help you? When our, son, when our son went into the hospital right at about six months of age and, and we thought that, that with this fever that he was going to die and, and we didn't know what to do, suddenly the people that we do life together had come around us and they're bringing us meals and they're doing our laundry and they're praying with us and they're sitting with us at the hospital because we're doing life together. You cannot exist in this culture anymore, in this world anymore, and follow Jesus unless you're doing life together. i got to tell you, it's the only way that we're going to exist. This is no longer a Christian commu community. This world is, the United States is not a Christian society. And you can't exist without each other. Which means that we've got to get honest with each other. We've got to find a place we can go where we can talk to each other without fear of someone finding out really what we're like inside. We've got to be able to live life with vulnerability. I think Paul described it well when he wrote to the church in Galatia and he said, carry each other's burdens and this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Put Jesus in the middle and do life together. It's exactly what God wants. This is gut level living. This is where we share our stories and we live our lives honestly before each other without fear. But, but if they know me, what will they think? Oh, please. They already know you. You think you're hiding stuff? You're not. In fact, Jesus said this. He said, the stuff you try to hide in private, I will proclaim from the rooftops. I'll tell somebody. One time, one time I, was, I was hiding something. And, and a lady walked up to me in, a, in the lobby of the church we were serving in, and she said, hey, I've been praying for you. What's this happening in your life right now? And she named it. I said, you're wrong, but I knew God had told her. So I'm just going to tell you, God blabs. <laughs> I will tell you that even in the past, and some of you remember this, you remember that, that there were some very powerful evangelists and TV people who had moral failures, and, and it, was, it was the secular media that found it out and told them. 
The problem with that is if they'd have had people around them and they were living life together, they would have been able to deal with that. And Because if we don't deal with it with the people we're living life together with, God will find someone outside that group that we should have had to proclaim it so that we stop doing it. God ta- tells on us. So what will they think of me? They do, and you know what they do? They invite you into their world. Oh, please hear me. We're called to holiness. But membership in God's church does not mean perfection. It means to come as you are, and then we journey together and get ourselves cleaned up. In her book, Sober Mercies, How Love Caught Up with a Christian Drunk, Heather Kopp wondered how could a bunch of addicts and alcoholics succeed at creating the kind of intimate fellowship so many of my Christian groups had, had tried to achieve and failed. And she came to this understanding, and don't miss this, people bond more deeply over shared brokenness than they do over shared beliefs. That when we get honest and say, here's my character flaw, and here's my, here's my messiness, we go, yeah, I get that. I'll never forget when, when, when my friend Mike showed up. Years ago, I had a group of 12 guys, and we would meet together at 6, 6.30 in the morning at a, at a local restaurant and just talk about life and parenting and, and, and how life is. And, and, and Mike was, a, was a, a pilot, a commercial pilot, and he showed up one day, sat down, and said, guys, you've you got to pray for me because every time I go in a hotel room, I want to watch the porn. And we all went, whoa, dude. And nobody said, do that, you go to hell. What we said is, yeah, we struggle with that kind of stuff too. And we began to talk about how we could help each other not do that. Real community only takes place when we can honestly share our stories and then share our experiences, our real life experiences and growing up and how Jesus wants us to, to walk in a, in, a, in a much healthier state, in a holy state where, where he is, you know, Pastor Jason, I appreciated what your, your words you said this morning during worship because I was having the same sense in addition to that. I felt like God was saying, the reason, that you are not, the reason you're struggling is because you are not holding me sacred. You are not taking who I am and walking into me and saying, I can really trust you because of who you are. You're coming in here and you're worshiping and you're just saying the words, but you need to set me aside as holy and then put yourself there and realize what I can do for you. For you that are from the old school, the clapping men, amen. That's what that means. And in doing so, then we can affirm the Jesus that's even in us in our broken state. So why does God search us out? Because he wants us in his world. That's why. And why do we search each other out? Because we are made to have each of us in one another's world. You say, but why? I look at those people and they're so good and look at me. I love the words from Anne Lamont, the author who in her blog confessed this. I realize I've been comparing my insides to other people's outsides. And the people's insides are the same amount of screwed upness as mine. Our outsides are not our whole story. And if God invites us into his world knowing our screwed upness, 
Isn't it about time we accept that love and then give out that love to everybody else around us who has the screwed upness? That's called doing life together. So how do we respond to that? I just love the Psalmist David's response when he says, God's, God's got me, he's got me pinned. He's, he knows, and yet he invites me in. He says these words, this is too much, too wonderful. I can't take it all in. So let's start taking it in. Let's do life together. And so part of that will be understanding next week as we continue to look at Psalm 139 and be amazed at the news that we are not accidental, but that God has a destiny for each of us. Why? Because you do matter. Would you stand? I'm going to ask the, our prayer team, our elders and intercessors, spouses to come and take their place right down here in the front. Would you come? Because some of you in this place today are just feeling pretty broken and alone. You're feeling all that screwed upness in your life. And it would be really great for you to come and just have someone hug you and just say to you, we're with you. We don't judge you. We're with you. Whatever you need, we're going to pray with you. You may say, I, I don't even know this whole thing about relationship with Jesus. And these folks are here to say, hey, we know about Jesus. We'll, we'll walk with you. You see, these folks are down here because they've all been screwed up too. And they know what happens when Jesus starts working in our lives and how he can transform us. And so they're here to pray with you today. And so in just a moment, I'm going to dismiss you. And as I do, I'm going to ask you that those that are down toward the front, that you keep it kind of quiet so that as we're praying here, we won't be disturbed. I do want you to greet each other, but let's try to keep it quieter down here. And I want you to come down. And if you just need prayer for healing, you need a prayer for something in your life, you just need an encouragement. These folks are really good at that. And these, this is a judge-free zone. But this is also a very powerful prayer zone. And so we want to invite you to come and start doing life together. And so now, let me pray a blessing on you. You may even want to take a posture of receiving. And so we'll, I, I pray that today and in this week, you will recognize the closeness of your Creator. That as you speak those words, you know that he already knows them. And as you have those thoughts, you know that he already knows what you're thinking. That, that he's already gone before you and that, that he knows what's going to happen at your job this week. And he's prepared a way for you. And he hems you in before and behind and over the top of you. He's walking with you because he loves you and because you matter. And may you take great joy in knowing his covering in your life. And may you then submit to him and trust him with your living. And I pray that you will find people around you that you can trust, that you'll begin to do life together with them, and in doing so, find the immense power of God released in your life. May this happen to you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week.